Welcome to the Dignity of Women, where we dig deep into the vocation and dignity of women in the church, in modern times, and as an answer to the call for a new evangelization. I'm your host, Kimberly Cook. Joining me today is Ortrud Bianchi. Ortrud Bianchi was born in Ronsburg, Czech Republic in 1945, the youngest of six children. Despite experiencing her parents' painful divorce and deciding to distance herself from her Catholic faith and choose to remain single, God had other plans. Ortrud had a powerful conversion that led her to befriend Padre Pio, the saint who would matchmake her with her husband, Germain, and bless their marriage and eight children from heaven. Starting at the beginning, Ortrud, how did your parents' divorce and lack of religious atmosphere in your home affect your younger years and your ideas of faith originally? Well, at uh, that time, I was living in Bavaria, which was very Catholic. And in 1950, when I was five years old and my parents got their divorce, it was highly unusual to have a divorce. Today, this is normal. Mm -hmm. But it was a scandal at that time in the town where I lived, 5,000 people. So there was some shame involved to come from a family that was divorced. It was a a town where everybody knew everybody. And when you walked through the streets, you knew you were the child of the divorced couple. Mm. So my mother would not go to church because she was too embarrassed to show her face in public. And my father wasn't going to church either. He married another woman. So we did go sometimes to church. My mother was not an atheist. My father was not an atheist. We believed in God. We didn't pray ever at home, but we received the sacraments. But we went to church very seldom, Mm -hmm. very seldom. Christmas, Easter, and maybe sometimes in between. So what was your idea of God? Or did you know of any of the saints from school or from any of your religious education? Or did you not have much of an awareness of saints and the rosary and Mary and all of those deeper points of the Catholic faith? No, we never talked about it. I knew the rosary existed, but I never prayed one. I don't remember knowing too much about any saint. I knew there were statues in church. I knew St. Joseph probably, but I didn't pray to any of the saints. Not much going on. Right. So then what changed for you with your grandmother's death and your mother's move to Austria? And when she returned to her faith more fervently at that time, how did that affect you at first being opposed to it and then eventually brought you into it? Right. Well, it proves the power of the prayer of a mother. When my mother converted, it was a huge shock for her because she suddenly realized I have six children and I failed my role as a mother to bring them to God. Yes. And she started a radical life of prayer and sacrifice. Radical. I don't know anybody else that was so fervent but she knew she had to do something to bring her children to god and since they were not living with her anymore she knew the only way to bring them to god would be through her prayers she would go to church six o'clock in the morning stay there for hours come home have a meager meal go back to church and pray till the evening every day because none of us children wanted to really have anything to do with the church And it was painful for her that she felt 
she was guilty of that. So because of her prayer, I know that she obtained the conversion of all her children. Mine came about that I was living with my sister in Germany. I used to visit my mother and I would say to her, I come to visit you, but if you want to speak about religion, I will not come for a visit. Right. Because I do not want to argue. I loved my mother and it would only end in an argument if she talked about religion. And so when I came to visit her one time, uh, she handed me at the train station when I was leaving again, a little pamphlet. And she said, here, this is for you, read it. And I looked at the pamphlet and I said to myself, I don't believe this. She's giving me a pamphlet that has Jesus on the front page. <laughs> this is, the, how does, she, why would she do that? She knows I'm not going to read that. That's boring. It's, I'm not interested in that. But I love my mother dearly. So I put it in my pocket and I said, okay. And two, three months later, it was time for me to visit her again. I lived in Germany with my older sister. She lived in Austria. And I knew my mother really well that she would ask me immediately, did you read that pamphlet? I knew also that she knew me well enough that she could tell if I was lying. Right. She would pick that up. And if I said, yes, I read it, <clears throat> she would know it's a lie. But if I said, no, I didn't read it, she would say, then why didn't you? And we we're ready for another argument. So I was home one time and I said, I have to read one page one page so I can say I looked at it. I was home alone. My sister was a teacher. She was in school in the afternoon. It was a pamphlet about divine mercy in St. Faustina. And I opened it on a random page. It said, Jesus talked to St. Faustina and told her, even if your sins are red as scarlet, I will wash them white. Let no sinner be afraid of me and stay away from me. I love them all. And I got on my knees. I couldn't really remain sitting. There was a force that made me kneel down. I put my arms, elbows on the coffee table, and I started to sob so loudly. And during this time, I was repeating one sentence over and over. Jesus, from today on, I want to be your friend. And I wasn't able to stop saying it. I kept saying it. The more I said it, the more I wanted to repeat it. Jesus, from today on, I want to be your friend. And I was shaking and trembling and crying, sobbing. And I knew that I would never, ever separate myself from Jesus again. And the next Sunday, I got up in the morning. I got dressed. And my sister and brother-in-law looked at me and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to Mass. And they said, what? Why? Who, what? what? I never told them what happened, never. I was too afraid to share that because mm -hmm. it was too special for me. But from that day on, I never missed a Sunday mass. Did you ever, ever tell them later in life what had happened or what had changed no. for you? I might have said I read a pamphlet, but how it touched me, it was something I didn't want anyone to make fun about. Right. I mean, you think about the ways that God uses to reach people and it seems like such a small thing. You were so opposed to it and you read one simple page, you know, and, and you were touched by one simple line. It shows the Holy Spirit had a part in it that you could read one sentence and be so profoundly struck that your whole entire life could change. It's yeah. remarkable. It gives, me a lot of, it gives me a lot of confidence 
in the sense that if you pray for a person, that if God gives the grace, it takes very little for a person to actually have a total change. Right. And this would happen to me, you know. So eventually my ace child was named Faustina <laughs> in Thanksgiving to the writing of St. Faustina. <laughs> That's amazing that it, it took eight children to name one of them Faustina. I, I would have thought that would be the first one after that conversion, but I guess you had so many saints then that helped out after that, as we'll hear about. But also another remarkable thing is you said all six of you returned to the Catholic faith. Right. Right. And that, again, is yeah. truly incredible yeah. because usually once, you know, children that hadn't been raised in the faith, once they reach adulthood, it seems to be so much harder for them to get that relationship right. with the Lord that seems to be easier for children to develop right. throughout their life. So the fact that your mother's fervent prayers and sacrifice brought all six of her children back to the faith is really incredible. Yeah, it always taught me that whatever will happen in life, nothing is impossible if you pray. I carried that away with me because I saw it happen. And I didn't have any fear of the future or any uh, hesitation. What if, what if, no. I knew that if you pray, God will fix it. You know, he will fix the situation. Like he fixed it with my brothers and sisters. Wow. And so then it's beautiful too, because your mother gave you another gift, all of you, not only obviously your salvation and that relationship on earth with the Lord and to pass that on to all of your children, but the fact that you could share that with one another as adults, share your faith, because it's such a separation when siblings grow up and they're not on the same page with their faith. It's hard for them to relate to one another and to communicate those most important truths of their soul and how they're living their lives, how they're raising their children. That changes everything about the way you live your life. And it's so hard to remain in communion with a sibling when they're living so radically different and when they're not recognizing the Lord in their life. Right. And it's interesting because I live in America and I left at an early age and we were pretty much separate from each other. But if I pick up the phone today and call up my brother, we sound like twins when we talk about the faith. I don't know how that works, but he would say, I wrote a pamphlet about the devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and Fatima and to make the meditations for each first Saturday of the month. I'm saying, you did? I was thinking of doing that too. He's always writing pamphlets and he's telling me the topics and they're all the topics that I'm wandering around in my head. And so we're like two peas in a pot. And my sister who died in the meantime, I could finish every one of her sentences. And we weren't even near each other for years and years. We hardly ever saw each other, but the face was there, the same face. It's incredible. Right. My goodness. Yeah. That is so hopeful. I feel like for every mother who either feels like she's failed her children or maybe she's done the best she could, but her children have wandered away like yeah. lost sheep from the faith. That is so hopeful that there's so much confidence in prayer and fasting and that knocking on the door, you know, perpetual knocking on the door to ask the Lord for that favor of your children returning because there really is nothing I could think of that could break a mother's heart more 
then her children leaving the faith, rejecting God, and having to worry about the state of their soul. That is a very hard thing, I think, for mothers to suffer. Sometimes you hear somebody say, yeah, my children uh, don't practice their faith. Well, there's nothing I can do about it, Mm -hmm. you know. And I'm saying to myself, what? (laughs) There's nothing you can do about it. Where's your spirit of fighting? You know, you got to fight for the soul as if everything depended on you. You, you, The more they walk away, the more you fight for that soul. And my mother wasn't a wishy-washy person. She was all in. She, She would have not hesitated to do anything to get these souls back into the grace of God. Yeah. Nothing. That is such a wonderful witness. And Mm -hmm. so then how did you wind up first visiting San Giovanni Rotundo in Italy and first meeting Padre Pio? What was your first experience? And I know from reading that it wasn't what you thought it was going to be with lightning bolts and angels singing yeah, yeah. and the heavens <laughs> <But he's>, opening <laughs> you know what what really is interesting is when you look at your life in retrospect there is nothing that god is lost of how to bring about certain situations for me to go to san giovanni rotondo was actually a thing that was impossible it took so many different miracles for me to get there that i'm not even going to touch on any of those but it took a whole chain of events, after event, after event, for me to be there. And when I did finally go there, after all these miracles made it happen, and I went there, I was super excited. I had seen one film in the theater about Pope Pius XII, and I remember him standing there in that movie theater. He came alive. He would stretch out his arms really far and give the blessing and I remember getting this goosebumps. He's blessing us. And it seemed like heaven was opening. And he looked at us and I said, that is a saint. So I'm saying to myself, I'm going to be seeing the saint. And when he can't, when I get near there, I'm going to get these goosebumps and I'm going to stop breathing. And he's <laughs> going to look, he's going to look like transparent and maybe a halo or something. I don't know what I was thinking because my mother said, he's a living saint. And then I go there and I see this elderly monk walking slowly through the hallway. And I'm saying to myself, what? (laughs) This is it? (laughs) I just couldn't believe it. I said, I don't understand why these people are making a fuss over this priest. Do they not understand that we have Jesus and the Blessed Mother? They are present in the church at mass. Jesus is present. You can pray to the Blessed Mother. She hears you wherever you are. You don't have to travel a thousand miles to see an elderly priest walking in the hallway. I said, these Italians, God bless them, but they're so fanatic. I have nothing to do with this. And I will never come back here again. I was like, whoa, this was a good lesson for me to learn. That is so funny. And... <laughs> I wonder, because you know that Padre Pio could often read people's souls or what they were thinking. And I just have to laugh in thinking if he could have just a glimpse into that thought, you know, when you were there. Like, who is? why are these people so fanatical about this elderly monk walking around 
he would have gotten such a good laugh out of that. You yeah. know, that would have just really gotten him, I think. Um, oh, my goodness. And uh, it, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it is funny how we expect certain things. You know, when we go visit holy places or people that are holy, we expect something, a halo or, you know, almost like the transfiguration. And so that, that's so funny in the Italian fanaticism, especially when I was reading your story, you were talking about how the Italians, when they went to see Padre Pio, they were jumping over the pews and your brother lost his shoe one time and then somebody's glasses flew off their face. And I was thinking, isn't that just Sunday mass in Italy? Because every time I've gone to mass at any church in Italy, I feel like you have to make sure your your glasses are strapped onto your face, your shoes are secured because it's almost like they're handing out $100 bills when you go to the Eucharist. Like there is right. a fervor there that you've never seen in other countries or at least in America, you know, we've never seen anything. I was like, are they giving out something besides the Eucharist that people are pushing and shoving and you were kind of afraid that you would be trampled to death. You, you almost were lifted up from the pushing of all the people on all sides. It's a scary feeling. They only opened one door of the entrance of the church before mass. And hundreds of people are trying to squeeze in and get the front pew. I mean, it, it, it's scary. I only did it once. I never stood in line a second time. That was it. Wow. I was cured. I would walk in as the last person every time after that. And even though you were unimpressed with the hype surrounding Padre Pio at that first time, you returned to his monastery two years later with your mother and a member of the Legion of Mary, which also sounds like a bunch of miracles to get there again with the car breaking down several times and having to hitchhike and all these other things. But what was different about this encounter with Padre Pio from the first time you went there? Yeah, we hitchhiked through the night. Uh, I told my mother, it's all your idea. <laughs> I, I, it wouldn't have happened if you would have listened to me and we would have stayed away from that place. It was a nightmare, but we got there at four o'clock in the morning and my mother was so elated. She said, isn't God good? We're here in time for mass. <laughs> and, and so then we went to mass and we met, met a German elderly lady we didn't know any Italian. My mother immediately made friends with her. And she said, if you want to see Father Pio close up, you have to go to the sacristy at this time. And then you have to go to the window at that time. She, she filled us in on all the places where you can get a glimpse of Father Pio. My mother was so excited. She was so happy. She said, okay, now is this time. Now he's going to pass by here in this sacristy. We have to go inside and... Uh, he will pass in front of us. And I said, okay, I, I mean, I'll go along. What am I going to do? So we all go in the sacristy and we kneel down and Father P is going to pass by. Big deal. Yes, <laughs> he's going to pass by. Wow, a thousand miles so he can pass by in front of me. So anyway, I'm kneeling down. I'm not expecting anything. I'm just playing along. My mother is next to me and he comes to me. I didn't even look at him. He just put his hand on my head and that was it. He didn't say a word. I didn't look at him. I don't know. He probably looked at me, but when he put his hand on me, on my head, I should say, 
I knew that at that moment, we had a spiritual connection, like a father to his child. And I just got up, walked out of the church and cried and cried and cried. I couldn't really understand why I was crying, but I knew I had found a father. I wasn't ever looking for a father, but I had such a deep connection with Father Pia from that moment on that I knew I could come to him for everything for the rest of my life. He was going to be there for me and I was going to be his little child. And I did not even want to leave, but I had to leave because I had something to do in Austria that I had promised to be there for. But it is interesting how this can happen with just him putting his hand on my head. And he didn't put his hand on everybody's head. I looked at my mother and she said, he looked at me. And I said, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) He looked at you. But for her, that was so beautiful. She made eye contact with him, you know. But then sometimes she would just pass by a whole row. Then sometimes she would bless a person individually. And sometimes she would put his hand on the head of a person. And I asked somebody, is there a special meaning to it? And I don't know if it's true or not. But he said, yeah, that means he takes you as a spiritual child. I'm sure my mother was a spiritual child too, just looking at him, because she made herself a spiritual child. But I was a different person after that. I was a different person in the sense that I became one of those fanatic Italians. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I wanted to hang out. I wanted to hang out in San Giovanni Rotondo. I didn't want to go anywhere anymore. It became my favorite place. And I would have to say it still is my favorite place in this world to this day. When you say he put his hand on your head, that is the hand that has the stigmata of Christ. I mean, it's such a profound thing. It's not just like somebody putting their hand on your head or even another holy person, but to think how few people have had the stigmata and have all of the wounds as he has, you must have reflected on that so many times. This hand, the stigmatized hand, was resting on my head. It did seem like a lightning went through my body. Just had this interior awareness that he became my father and I became his child. My whole body experienced like a lightning going through me. And it was nothing that I expected. I expected zero. Mm-hmm. Zero. I only went inside that sacristy to please my mom, but I know exactly how it felt from top to bottom. A lightning went through me. Wow. And then three weeks later, you said you were quickly becoming one of those Italian groupies at San Giovanni <laughs> Rotondo. So just three weeks later, after that trip, you returned again from Austria. And this time you did refuse to leave despite not having any money, transportation or accommodations. So what made you stay that time? And how then did that lead to meeting your future husband? Yeah, but when I came back from that trip, I was really on fire. You know, I wanted the whole world to know that there's a saint, a living saint in this world right now. And I told everybody that I could think of about him. And that's when my family decided, my sister, her husband, my other sister, her brother, my mother, to go down again 
and I was there too. They had to go back to Germany after a week and I was teaching. So my vacation was still for another week or two. And I said to myself, no, I will stay here till the last minute. Because when I was in San Giovanni Rotondo after I came back again, I felt that Father Pio was acting as a magnet. And the magnet that I felt was, he was pulling you to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Once I stepped out of the car and I would be in San Giovanni Rotondo, the world would just cease to exist. I would go into church and I didn't want anything else again. I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to sleep. I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to go anywhere. I just wanted to be in front of the Blessed Sacrament and pray. And that was my whole happiness. I did sleep a couple hours at nighttime, but uh, very little because I would get up at 3.30 so I could say hello to Father Pew at 4 o'clock in the morning when he came to the window. But I didn't go to sleep till 12, 1 o'clock. And eating wasn't much either because I had no money for food. But when they said, we're going back to Germany, get in the car, I said, I'm staying. And my mother said, staying? How are you going to come back? You have no money for the train. You have no money for a hotel and you have no money for the food. And it doesn't make any sense. You don't even understand the language. You don't even know Italian. Just tell me, what is your plan? And I said, my plan is just to stay here. And I don't worry about the rest. I just don't care about the rest. My mother started to cry. They tried to push me into the car, <laughs> take my luggage and throw it. I had a little bag, just a little bag. And I said, I'm 21 years old. I'm an adult. I can do what I want to do and goodbye. So they got in the car and drove off. And I walked into the church with my little bag around my shoulders and I prayed. And then at seven o'clock, the priest came. I was the only one left in church. And he said, I'm locking the church up now. And I had to leave and he locked the church up and the place was deserted. There was nobody there. And I said to myself, Father Pio, in my thoughts, uh, I have prayed for many people. I've never prayed for myself, but now I'm desperate. I need your help. Find me a place to sleep tonight. Something like a hallway where I'm inside a building because outside they said there were snakes and dogs running around. And I, I was sort of scared of that. And I just wanted to have like a little corner of a stairway or something. And as I'm thinking that, I noticed that on the bench under the tree, there was a young man sitting there. And he got up and came walking towards me. And he said to me, do you speak English? And I said to myself, what is it with these Italian men? Whenever they see a girl, they have to just talk to them. This is really annoying. <laughs> and I was ready to give a bad answer, a sarcastic answer. And an interior voice, I mean, nothing audible said, and it was really forceful, like a, a serious voice. You just came out of church, be charitable. So I said to him, oh, yes, I do speak a little English. And I'm actually busy right now. I'm looking for a place to stay tonight, which was a lie because I really had no place to stay because I didn't have money to pay for a regular hotel. And he said, just wait a minute. 
I'll be right back. And I said, wow, this worked like a charm. I have to use that sentence more often. <laughs> he disappeared so fast. I guess he knew that I wasn't the right material. So he came back 10 minutes later while I was sitting on that bench. I had no place to go. And he said, I found a place for you. Come. So I said, wow, I can't believe it. So I followed him to the first house right next to the church down the hill. And he said, there's a place in the basement that has three beds in it. And you can have one of them for like 50 cents. I had that much money, but not for a regular hotel. I got in there. I couldn't believe it. I had a roof over the head. I was so happy. I just flopped myself down and said, Father Pio, thank you. Thank you, Father Pio. And so then a little while later, there was a knock at the door. That same person came and had two little bags in his hand. And there was two sandwiches and a pear and an apple. And he said, this is for you. And I said to myself, wow, how does he know I didn't have any food to eat all day? Do I look that starving? But that was God and Father Pio providing for my needs. <laughs> and that happened to become my husband, of course. I know you, I guess you never could have imagined it at that time, right? You were just seeing yeah. it as. I asked, I asked for a place to stay that night and Padre Pio found me somebody who would take care that I would have a place to stay every night of my life yeah. and provide for me. <laughs> That's right. He would give you a place to stay and provide food for the rest of your life and a lot more. Eight yes, children, yes. right? That is a beautiful thing. And then that wasn't the end of, as you called him, the American. Well, first of all, I didn't think he was American. I thought he was Italian who was faking to be American because, you know, oh. I figured they want to impress the girls. But then I heard him speak English to another guy. And I said, oh, my goodness, he really is an American. And so I met a, a German lady who said to me, can you pray to Father Pio, I have a special intention. And I said, what is the special intention? I usually didn't ask that. I thought I was too nosy to ask, but it just slipped out of my mouth. And she said, oh, I'm praying to Padre Pio uh, that I find somebody who keeps me company as I'm driving back to Austria. I don't like traveling alone by myself. I said, when are you going back to Austria? She said, oh, next week on this and this day. I said, boy, your prayers have been answered so quickly. I'll be the one keeping you company to go back to Austria. And then I said, I know this young man. I found out he was studying in Rome. I figured everybody who's a student is poor. I just, you know, I only knew poor students. And I said, he probably doesn't uh, have too much money. Let's give him a ride. And she said, that's awesome. You know, if we have a flat tire, it's good to have a man in the car. And so I approached him and said, you know, we are going through Rome. You can have a ride with us. Would you be interested in leaving it that day? And he said, sure. So we had just a little conversation here and there. But my main purpose that I was there was that I wanted to ask Father Pio if I should go in the convent. Mm. And you couldn't just go and show up and ask Father Pio questions, you know. So you had to do it through a priest. And there was a priest standing in front of the church. And I asked him, could you do me a favor and go and ask Father Pio if Ortrud Schumann has a vocation to go in the convent? So he looked at me and he says, oh, so you want to go in the convent? I said, no, I don't want to go in the convent. 
absolutely, I don't want to go in a convent, but I made a promise that if I'm spared of dying in a, this dangerous situation in Thanksgiving, I would go in a convent. And I didn't die. I survived it. And now I feel like I had to keep my promise. He said, do you have a little bit of a longing to go in a convent? I said, no, zero. But if God wants me to do it, I will do it. He said, I don't need to ask Father Peel for that. I tell you right now, you have no vocation to go in the convent. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> and that was the priest, right? That was, yes, that was the priest. Okay. <laughs> he said, I can, I can handle that myself. So I got my answer not to go in the convent. I, mission was accomplished. And then this young American, if he wanted to come to Rome with us, and he accepted. And that's a trip that also changed my life because... Once we were in Rome, the lady who gave us the ride said, I have to take care of some business. Can I leave you alone in the car? And we said, sure, well, of course. And uh, it was kind of an awkward situation. I was sitting in the front, he was sitting in the back. We hadn't talked to each other for hours because my newfound friend in the front, we were just talking in German to each other and laughing and telling jokes. We totally ignored him in the back. Oh no, <laughs> poor guy. Totally. Totally. And so all of a sudden she goes in this uh, uh, building where she has some business to take care of. And I'm sitting quietly in the car and I said to myself, oh, wait a minute. I haven't even said a rosary today yet. So as they turned around and said, excuse me, I, I have not said a rosary today yet. Uh, I'd like to say one now, uh, but would you mind joining me? I don't know it in English, but I can say the first part of the prayer in German, and you can answer in English. And he said, yes, I'm very happy to do that. And so we said our rosary till we got to the fourth mystery. And then at the fourth mystery, he kind of, his voice trailed off. And I turned around and asked him if he was feeling okay. And he said, yes, I'm, I'm okay. But uh, I knew something happened. And uh, so I'll just let it be. And then the lady returned anyway. Then when we had to drop him off someplace, uh, he gave me his address. And on the address, it said Yonkers, New York. And I said to myself, yeah, right. I'm going to be <laughs> passing by in Yonkers, New York. I don't have money for a train ticket to go home. <laughs> but I gave him my address in Austria. And before he left, he put his hand on my shoulder, on my right shoulder. And uh, I was not happy. I experienced the same feeling that I had when Father Peer put his hand on my head. I was again the exact same feeling. And I said, no, God, no, Jesus. I don't want this, Jesus, Jesus, no. I knew something was up, that this was not a normal thing. I did you have the feeling was, that this yes something that this he did not produce that that i knew that it came from father peel and he was that. telling you something about this he man was telling me something about this man and i kept saying no father peel no jesus no jesus but i gave him my address and i had his address and then we continued our trip and then our ways parted she had to go one direction i had to go the other direction it took me two more days to get home to hitchhike, which was a big adventure. I wouldn't want my children to do that, but uh, I did it. 
I got home two days later at five in the morning. My mother was happy to see me. And uh, I was home for a couple of days. I had to get back into my routine. And then one evening the doorbell rang and there was this young man from Rome. God, unbelievable. I, I mean, were I you completely night. shocked? Were, he gave you I no warning? In the evening. I wanted to go to bed early and here he is. And I did not remember his name. <gasps> oh, so no. I said to my mother, I don't know what his name is, but he's the one that I met in San Giovanni Rotondo. And I looked at him and I said, how did you get here? I don't see a car. He said, yeah, I had a car accident somewhere far away. Oh. So we had to go retrieve the car. We came home at three in the morning. I said to my mother, don't worry. He's never going to come back again. He had such a bad experience. He almost died twice. <gasps> oh my goodness. Two bad accidents. And he, and uh, my mother looked at me. She said, I think the next time he comes, he will take a train. Yeah, and is I, this a New York driving lesson uh, here? The, the, or? The, the Austrian roads in the mountains are just not uh, something that you're used to when okay. you drive highways. So, so were you did. completely shocked when you opened the door and there he is? He gave you no warning that he was no coming? Warning. Nothing. Yeah, it was shocking, but I wasn't putting too much thought. I said, you know, he had my address. I mean... It wasn't, he didn't come from around the corner. It took him a long time all day to drive there, but we didn't have time to think about it. We had to go and travel into the mountains to find that car in the ditch. Then we had to find some people that were partying in the bar to pull it out with a tractor. I mean, we were so busy doing things that I wasn't thinking about it. And then the next morning, he, we just said goodbye to each other and that was it. And then he did come back and I said, now I have to take care of business because if he comes back again, that means he's serious and I don't want him to be left in the dark. So I took my little dictionary and I took him to a real beautiful spot overlooking the lake, the, the bench there. We had a beautiful lake there and I sat down and I said, I have to give you the talk. Uh -oh. I had memorized it. All my friends knew it because I indoctrinated all my friends never to get married. And I told them why they should never get married. So, and, and some listened, some didn't. Anyway, <laughs> so, so I said to him, you know, since you're coming this from far away, I have to just let you know right off the bat that I'm not interested in marriage. You know, it's only decent that I tell you that. And... The reason is that I am so happy to be single. I love Jesus and I don't want to divide my love for Jesus with a man. I mean, I don't need a man. Jesus alone makes me happy enough. And then the reason is I want to pray whenever I want. I want to go to church whenever I want. I want to pray as much as I want. I love being a religion teacher. I love children that I can teach religion and I don't want to take a chance like my mother mm. that, that I get married and then something happens and the man promises you the stars in the sky and the next thing you know he's off with another person mm. and he just he just sat there and never said a word he was so quiet and he said to me after a while okay he had it all in memorized what I said to him he said, I understand what you say. You're happy to be single, but do you know 
that you can be happy being married, maybe. <laughs> and did you know that you don't have to divide your love for Jesus? We all are supposed to love Jesus with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul. We would only help each other to love Jesus more. And if you want to go to church, I'm going to church every day. I would only support you to do that. Mm. I would never hold you back from praying. I would pray with you. We would pray together. And I would be honored to have somebody that is my prayer partner for the rest of my life. Wow. And the part that you don't trust men, you could trust me. You have my word. I was so shocked that somebody actually has an argument for all my good points that I thought were so good and so solid and so untouchable. And he just rips them apart. I was like, somebody just pulled the rock underneath my feet. What am I going to say next? He was a good and match. I and I looked at him. And I said, wait a minute. Do you realize this is our first private conversation that we ever had? This is our first, and we're talking about marriage. Right. I said, you don't even know me. You don't even know who I am. I don't know you, and you don't know me. And we're talking about marriage. He said, well, I do know you. I said, what? You do know me? How do you know me? He said, do you remember in Rome when we were sitting in the car? I said, yes, of course I remember. He said, we were praying the rosary, and all of a sudden, I realized you are the first girl that ever asked me to pray a rosary together. And I knew at that moment, this is the person I want to get married to because I want to have a woman that teaches my children to love the Blessed Mother. At that moment, I was so convinced that you were the person that I wanted to marry that I couldn't even finish the rosary. And when you dropped me off in Rome, my friends were begging me to go and see you because I wasn't able to eat. I wasn't able to sleep. I wasn't able to do anything for days. Wow. And they said, go and see that girl before you die in front of us. Oh I was my so, gosh. I was so taken with the thought that I had met my wife that I, I couldn't put it in words. And then he paused and looked at me and he said, but if you really have decided that marriage is out of the question, I respect that. I will say goodbye to you. I will go back to America and I will never see you again. Wow. And all of a sudden I said, my goodness, this guy is all or nothing. Why can't we just be friends? <laughs> He said, no, no, I'm not interested in just being friends. Wow. That's, this is too painful for me. I couldn't do that. And I said, oh. <laughs> and he noticed that I was shaky now all of a sudden, all of a sudden I softened and he saw some hope. He jumped the next morning on the train, went straight to Father Pio, went to confession and told him what happened to him. Father Pew sat there, smiled, and said, marry her. Wow. And prepare well 
for your marriage. That's all he needed. So he had had the same experience at that moment with the rosary. When he put his hand on your shoulder, he got that same profound experience, maybe a little bit more clarity than you. And then he got another confirmation directly from Padre Pio. That was really all he needed. And knowing that you were not a definite no, there was a little bit of hope there. But right. it is still, I mean, especially in our generation now, where people date for years before getting engaged and married and everything. When you hear these stories about people just knowing, you know, when they first see the person or when they have this experience or praying to God and then suddenly there's this revelation that's so clear. I mean, it's so foreign, I think, to a lot of people who enter into marriage maybe without any kind of discernment and here, your story must sound like pure madness. I mean, you, you didn't even speak the same language as each other. You know, you couldn't even say a rosary together in the same language. And your first time having a real conversation with each other is talking about marriage. It sounds nuts, but yet here... Well, it was, it was talking about not being married. Right. <laughs> That's how it started off, yeah. Right. But I used to say, I used to say always to my friends, if God wants me to get married, He will have to send an angel from heaven to tell me. Wow. Because I didn't want to repeat my mother's life. Right. I didn't, and I don't know. I don't have any way of knowing the future. So if God really wants me to get married, He's better send an angel. And I believe God takes you. If you have that desire, and it didn't have his angel, but Father Pio was. He was like an than... angel. I'm glad you didn't say for God to hit you over the head with a two by four or something like that, because I'm afraid he might have taken you on your word for these things. And then you were actually unconvinced still. You weren't completely yeah. convinced about this. So then you also traveled to San Giovanni Rotundo at Christmas time with Germain. Right. And you wanted to kind of see for yourself and hear for yourself. So what happened? I did trust him that Father Pierre said to him, marry her. And I accepted that, but I just wanted to have one more sign for myself. Yes. You know, so when we went together in San Giovanni Rotondo at Christmas time, I was able, which was only once in my lifetime, I guess, I went to so many times to get a front row uh, position where Father Pio would walk through after confession because there were so many people trying to be in the front because they wanted to give him a letter or they wanted to touch him or they wanted to ask him a question. So one time I went early enough and I had the best place. Just then a friar from the monastery comes and waves to me and says, come, 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 come. And I said to him, no, not today. <laughs> I have to, I'm never going to get a place like this for the rest of my life. So I followed him and he had this big chain with keys on it. And he opens the door to the monastery and I walk into the monastery. There was this long hallway and then he locks the door again. And then a few minutes later, Jermaine was upstairs in the hallway with the men. He opens the door again and Jermaine walks in. He had gone upstairs to call him. 
And so we're both standing there in the hallway and he said, how did this happen? He called you, he called me, now we're standing here in the hallway and he said, Father Peter's gonna come. And sure enough, the door opened up and at the end of the hallway, Father Peter walks in, on one fry on the left side to support his arm and one on the right side. And Father Peter was like shuffling. He wasn't walking. He was like taking these tiny, tiny steps. And I'm saying to myself, oh, he can look at you and see your soul. So I better keep my eyes on the ground. Mm. I'm just staring at the floor. I don't want him to see my soul. And then I said, forget it. At the last judgment, Jesus is going to look at me. I may as well practice now. Right. And so I lifted up my head and looked at Father Pio. And I looked at his face and his eyes. And our eyes were locked for a long time. He's just staring at me. I'm staring at him. And he finally comes in front of us. And he stops. And he puts his hand on Jermaine's head. And then he puts his hand on my head. And then he gives us one blessing for the two together. One blessing for both of us. Wow. And I knew that was enough, more than a sign that I had asked for. Yes, and that before, is a pretty big sign. <laughs> walked out of the out of that place and back to that little house where I had a basement bed and we walked in and Jermaine took me into his arms and he said, so when? And that's when it hit me. This is it. And I just fainted and fell on the bed. Of oh my gosh. And my head was just lightheaded. All of a sudden, it hit me. This is it. Wow. So when, you know, and I just went down and said, oh, my goodness, this is it. This is it. It was also fast, you know. So we got engaged in August. I went many times, many times uh, to San Giovanni Cotondo, and I would stay a month or two as long as I could. And I went there for Christmas, for Easter, for the summer vacation whenever I had a chance. And so the ninth time that I went there was actually the day of our wedding. We decided that we would get married in San Giovanni Rotondo. Wow. And uh, we met with the priest and I told him I want to get married on August 15th. And he said, sure, sure, August 15th. And then he put it in his little notebook. And then before that we came back at Easter time and we said, Father Emmelindo, here we are. We just want to make sure everything is fine. We made an appointment uh, last time. So next time we come will be the wedding, right? And he looks at his book and he says, oh no, I made mistake. I made mistake. You cannot get married August 15th. It's a holy day of obligation. You can get married on the 14th or on the 16th. I said, no, Father Emmelindo, you don't understand. I picked the Feast of the Blessed Mother if you would have told us that the 15th is not okay, I would have picked a different Feast of the Blessed Mother. It's the 15th or it's no wedding. And he was looking at me so frustrated, like he felt sorry for my husband. He said, <laughs> wow, he has still time to change your mind. Are you sure you want to get together with that woman? It's going to give me a lot of headaches, you know? And my husband, my future husband was kicking my knee under the table like, come on, you know, don't be so, you know. Like, don't said, talk no. to a priest like this. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You don't understand. It has to be a feast of the Blessed Mother. So then the, he's scratching his head. What should I do? What should I do? Finally, Father Ermelinda says, oh, okay. Okay. 
you can get married on the 15th of August, but you can't get married in the big church. You can only get married in the small church. Oh. I'm saying to myself, what a punishment is that? Right. The small church is the church where Father Pio received the stigmata, where he heard confession every day, where he celebrated mass all his life. That's where all the miracles happened. Of course, it's the only church I want to get married in that has the picture of Our Lady of Grace, you know. Unbelievable. And they said yes. And besides that, you know, on our wedding day, we only had eight guests. I had my mom and my sister and my other sister and brother-in-law and brother. And my husband had his mom and his two sisters. So we didn't need a big church for eight people. And so it was a gift to be married in that church. It's my favorite place on earth. I cannot tell you what I feel when I go in there. It's heaven on earth. And on our wedding day, it was so beautiful because Father Pio said to my husband, prepare well for your marriage. So we made the 33 days of preparation and we, we walked into the church before mass. And then we had a little surprise, Father Pio, who was sitting in the wheelchair at that time. We didn't know that he was going to die the next month. He was in the wheelchair and they brought him and he blessed our wedding rings. And he had kept your ring in his room for many days beforehand, which is a relic now. I mean, your wedding rings are relics. And he wasn't able to personally perform the wedding ceremony at that time because he was too sick. Well, he stopped a long time ago. Okay. He did not do weddings. No, he didn't, yeah. But the fact that he came anyway, he did see you right yeah. beforehand. He was, he was a blessing. part of it. He gave you the blessing. He gave you these rings that he had kept in his room and that he had blessed, I'm sure prayed for both of you and for your future marriage and children. And I cannot imagine a greater gift than being able to be married in Our Lady of Grace Church where he received the stigmata. Padre Pio was really just abundantly blessing you in so many, so many different ways. And then he also gave you a wedding gift, right? Right. So tell about the wedding gift. Right. And when he blessed us, that was the one time that he, I I joke about it and I say, he hit me over the head three times, maybe did an exorcism. But he hit me over the head three times. Usually just every time I would see him, he would just come and put his hand on my head. But that time he did three times. I don't know what he said, what prayer he said, but I had such a joy from that moment on that in the evening I prayed to God to take it away because I thought I was going to be dying eventually, that I couldn't take that joy. It was a joy that was so overwhelming. It was so beautiful. And my husband had a chance to thank him for everything. Then we went to mass, we made the consecration. We said the rosary before mass. And again, we said it half in English, half in German. My German family was the choir. It sounded beautiful. I looked at the end of the mass, I looked back and the church was filled with people. They had crowded in there. I didn't even know it. Standing room only. And as we walked out, we recognized some of the people that we had seen every day. And so we invited them to come to the wedding. And we said, do you have anything planned? 
you, can you come to the wedding? And they said, oh, sure. Is that right there, the first restaurant on the right side? And we ended up having 25 people oh, at the wow. wedding. Uh, and they were from seven different countries, and we tried to put them all next to each other that they could have a conversation with each other and understand each other. And while we were celebrating and singing and praying and eating, Father Emmelindo came in with Brother Pio Maria from Brooklyn. He came in, he was friends with my husband, and he said, I have a surprise for you, and I hope that you appreciate it. It's a picture of Our Lady of Grace, which is the picture that hangs in the chapel that we made uh, our vows under. It hangs right there over the altar. And Father Pio is too sick. He doesn't sign anything anymore. He doesn't write anything anymore. He just dictates it, and we do it for him. So I went to his room, and I said, Father Pio, I'm going to see my friends, Jermaine and Ortrud. And I want to write a little saying underneath the picture as their wedding present. What do you want me to write? And Father Peter said to him, give it to me. I want to write it myself. Wow. And he wrote in Italian, may the Blessed Mother keep you tightly in her love. And we treasure that picture very much. I bet. I mean, that's been a central part of your home for all these years. I'm sure it's led to so many conversations about yeah. Padre Pio and hopefully conversions of hearts. That is just a beautiful image and relic. And you and Jermaine have been such a big part of the experience of a saint in this lifetime, something that many people would just give anything to be a part of, to be so closely united with a living saint. And then of course, it was too short lived for you because only one month after your wedding, Padre Pio died. But right. still, he was showing that he had not abandoned you because you asked for a specific thing when you passed his casket. What was that thing that you asked? <laughs> well, the first thing is, you know, I. I didn't know that you had to stand online for hours and hours and hours in the middle of the night, you know, we got there. And uh, the people that came, it was a nonstop. You couldn't get into the church unless you stood online for several hours. And once you reached the casket, you couldn't really stay there and say a prayer. They immediately pulled you away. So I just asked him, Father Pio, please bless me. I want to have a baby. And I just wanted to say that the picture of Our Lady of Grace is carried around in procession every year. That procession takes about six hours. You'll go into town with it and they pray and they have a band. And it's on the feast day of Our Lady of Grace, which is on the 9th of September. And it, there's a plaque in the church that if you visit the church on the 9th of September, which is the Feast of Our Lady of Grace, you get a plenary indulgence. Well, I was surprised that Father Pugh gave me that nice little gift because the twins, the last two girls that were born, Gretchen and Faustina, were born on September 9th. And I said, that, that was Father Pugh doing it because he wanted us to know that he had a hand in it. He's still with you, right? Yeah. yeah. So you had asked for a baby and then shortly after, you were pregnant with your first child. Right. 
And then we kept asking him, we kept asking him, Father Pio, can you pick us a nice baby? And you know, Father Pio doesn't always give a sign, but sometimes, you know, he gives you a little sign because some of the children were born on big dates in Father Pio's life. And uh, that was always to me an answer that he will watch over them. Right. Yes, I was going to ask, since you consider yourself to be one of Padre Pio's spiritual daughters, how has he remained with you and continued to bless you from heaven? But that really explains one of the ways with each of your pregnancies, with each of your children, just little ways of him reminding you that he is still praying for you and still united and that you're still a spiritual daughter even if he's not physically here on earth anymore. Have you continued to see little miracles throughout your marriage and throughout your family? Do you continue to see that he's kind of smiling upon you? I think I could have a whole list, but it's interesting. Father Pio was a man of suffering, and he wouldn't want his spiritual children go through life without suffering. Mm. So there's no automatic button that you press and say, Father Pio, this, Father Pio, that. You know, he doesn't want to rob us mm-hmm. of the opportunity to offer up something to Jesus. And so when the signs come, it's sometimes just something to encourage you and say, don't worry, I'm here. I haven't forgotten you. But he's not going to just take everything and make the past smooth and say, oh my, this is the easy thing, you know, just uh, sailing through life. But uh, I remember being at Gertrude, one of the twins' house, a little while ago. She was pregnant and she was feeling extremely sick. And so her husband took her to the emergency room and they tested her and took pictures. And then she came back home. She was pregnant two months or so. And she said, everything is fine with the baby, but something is wrong with me. And she started to cry. And she said, they found a hole in the uterus. Mm. And my husband is a physician, and he made a very funny face at that point. And I knew this wasn't anything good, a hole in the uterus. And the baby could die and could be very dangerous for the mom too. And the first thing my husband said, Gertrude, do not worry one moment. You're going to kneel down right now and say a rosary. And we're going to ask Father Peel to help fix that hole in your uterus. You have nothing to worry about. And she stopped crying. She said, okay, dad. And we knelt down and we started the rosary. And my husband doing the rosary is pushing me and looking at me and saying, Father Pio is here. And we just continue praying, saying, okay, he's here, that's nice. <laughs> and then he pushes me again, says, did you hear me? Did you understand me? Father Pio is here. And I said, oh, okay, good, good. So we continue praying. We finished the rosary. And after the rosary, I said to him, so what was this whole thing about Father Pio is here? He said, well, while we were praying, I all of a sudden, smelled this most amazing aroma of flowers so strong that I wasn't praying. I was just looking around. Where's the smell coming from? He's scanning the whole area. 
And while he's looking around, suddenly the smell is gone. And that's when he realized Father Pio was there. Wow. She went back for another ultrasound. She had to see another specialist. And they showed the specialist the first ultrasound three days prior. Then the second doctor looked at the picture at the ultrasound. And then she looked at the new ultrasound. She said, I don't know what to tell you, but the hole is gone. Praise God. Wow. And she had a perfect pregnancy. Unbelievable. So Father Pio will be there to put your trust in him. But he isn't guaranteed to take every difficulty out of your life, every cross out of your life, because that wouldn't be normal. Right. You have to reach heaven through sacrifices and difficulties, but he will be there to help you through. What has he taught you about suffering? Because obviously he was a saint who suffered so incredibly. And I know when we talked earlier, you were saying that at one point in time, John Paul II visited Padre Pio and he asked what the most painful part of the stigmata was. And John Paul II was thinking that he was going to say his heart, but you said that it was one that nobody even knew about, which was his shoulder where he carried the cross, which that hit me profoundly because I honestly never even thought about that. What is it that Padre Pio has taught you about suffering? Yeah, I I was thinking about that. God gives saints, different saints for different times. And I was saying to myself, what was the reason that Father Peter came on the scene the time that he came? Another hundred years earlier or a hundred years later, Father Peter was a living crucifix. He said to himself, I hang on the crucifix. God did not give me this stigmata for decoration. It was a constant suffering. And at each Mass, God let him experience a mystical death. He was hanging on the cross at the consecration, and he was experiencing a mystical death, just like Jesus on the cross. And so he didn't want to advertise his stigmata too much. He even asked that the sleeves of the art would be long, so to hide it a little bit. But you could see his stigmata. And I'm saying to myself, why did God send him now? And I really feel that he was a reminder of Jesus telling the people, will you please remember what I suffered for you? Will you please take the time to be grateful for what I did for you? Father Peter was stirring our consciences to be more grateful to Jesus not just to have compassion, but when we look at the crucifix, it also stirs us to have sorrow for our sins, to have more gratitude, to have more love. And the many saints that just look at the holy cards, they always hold the crucifix in their hands and they're contemplating that crucifix because that was their secret to holiness, meditating on the suffering of Jesus. There is no saint that will not tell the people it is of utmost importance to set aside every day a certain time to contemplate the passion of Christ and also the passion of the Blessed Mother so that we grow in our love. And Father Pio was that living reminder, do not forget what Jesus has done for you. Every single day there has to be 
a little expression, Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Jesus, I'm so sorry that my sins caused you so much suffering. Jesus, help me to love you more, to be more grateful. He pointed the people to meditate on the suffering of Jesus. He lived the mass. He lived the passion all the time. And after seeing him coming to mass with his last drop of energy, oh my goodness, I said to myself, what is my excuse for not coming to church? If Father Peter can drag himself half dead into church, then me, healthy, what am I doing that I can't afford to go there? Suffering, I was spared so far because God knows I'm a wimp. Um, <laughs> I think God knows I'm like a princess on the pea. I cannot take much. <laughs> uh, maybe it's still going to come, and then I'm going to depend on Father Pio to help me get right. through it. I pray for that now because I know on my own, I don't have anything what it takes to be strong. <laughs> right. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. It is interesting because we naturally and more and more in our culture, we reject suffering. You know, everything is about comfort. We read so much about Padre Pio and we're still drawn to him. Even those of us who were born after he had died, you talk about him being like a magnet towards God. And I know for me, he had an essential part in me returning back to the Catholic faith. He still has that magnetism for so many people. My last question would be, what message does Padre Pio want to continue to echo throughout the world, even after he is gone? What would his legacy be to the world and to the church that he would still want people to live out? Yeah, you know what's a funny thing? What he said? He said, because at that time in the 60s people were saying uh things are changing mm -hmm. we can drop this and we don't have to do this and that he said hold on to the devotions of your parents wow and you know what he meant with that your love for the blessed mother mm. the rosary the devotion to the guardian angel the devotion to saint joseph the devotion to saint michael your holy hours Mm -hmm. prayers for the poor souls in purgatory super important people don't even think that anybody goes to purgatory mm -hmm. the grandparents they still had masses offered up and prayed for the poor souls in purgatory that was something everybody knew you had to do so hold on to devotions of your parents or grandparents it's not something that all went out to the window these things do not change right. there is no change you cannot find a picture of Father Pio without him holding a rosary in his hands. And why is that? Because he said, the Blessed Mother never refused me a favor that I asked through the rosary. Wow. And you would think he's such a mystic who sees the Blessed Mother every day, who sees Jesus, who sees the poor souls. Or he would be in this different stage where he doesn't say these primitive prayers like a rosary. He had grown out of it. You know, mm -hmm. that was something of the past when he was still in the first stages. Now he's in this mystical state. He doesn't say the rosary anymore. No, 
He said it more and more. He said it continuously. God gave him that gift. And he said he would love to be on top of a mountain until the whole world shouted out, pray the rosary. People would come and say, Father Pio, give me a prayer schedule. And he would say, my son, the rosary. And that's why I love it so much mm. that it was the rosary that brought my husband and me together. It was all part of Father wow. Pio's plan. That's right. You know, a rosary can change your life. Once you start praying that rosary and you hold on to it, it's like a chain that you climb to heaven. The Blessed Mother is begging for it. And how can you say no to the best of your mothers that only has the best in mind? And Father Peter said, how many times in the night have I prayed for you and blessed you? And I picture him because he couldn't sleep at night. He used to prepare himself starting at 1.30 for Mass. Mm. And he would spend the nights praying and blessing his spiritual children. And anybody can be his spiritual child. You have to just ask him. He's available for everybody. You don't have to be holy. You don't have to be a sinner. You can be anybody in between. You just say, Father Pio, I know that you love to adopt children. Will you please adopt me too? Right. And, and he said that God promised him that none of his children will be lost. Beautiful. The only thing that I would like to add is people have said they see pictures or movies of him and they get scared. He was this rough, tough man that was grouchy and just taking his court and whipping the people with it. And it gives such a wrong impression. Father Pio was funny. He had a big sense of humor. He loved to tell jokes. He loved to do practical jokes. He was welcoming. He was approachable. He was tender. He was sweet. He was gentle. He was all of it. His heart was a heart of gold filled with love that we cannot comprehend how much it was filled. No one has to be afraid to approach him. He will be there for anybody and everybody who calls on him and asks his intercession. And I can't help but think of your mother when she was standing there in San Giovanni Rotondo at your wedding and seeing how faithful in just a matter of years from not even wanting to accept that pamphlet to now Mm -hmm. here she is witnessing her daughter getting married in this chapel with Padre Pio and then watching these holy Capuchin priests performing this mass. I just cannot fathom her joy. Yes, yes. That's the dream of every mother. Yes. That the child is in love with Jesus and that their child has no other interest but doing God's holy will. And if that child is single, they can do it. And if they're married, they can do it together with the husband. And if they're called to religious life, they can do it. In every state of life, you can give your heart completely to Jesus and love him with your whole heart. And that's a dream of every mother that their child will do that. Right. You and Germaine actually named all of your eight children in their middle names. You put P.O., is that correct? You had, you gave all of them the middle name Maria Pia or Maria Pio. Well, the boys, the Latin name is Pius. 
Okay. So we called him actually Father Pius. Uh, in, in Italian, they said Pio, but in German, he said Pius. So I put Pius for the boys and Pia for the girls. Mm -hmm. Feminine form. Just to let them know, Father Pio is a part of your life. Keep it up. You know, Wonderful. he's watching over you and behave. Because he wants he wants the children to be good children, right? And I said, if you don't behave, he might appear to you. So That's right. Don't, it. don't step out of line. <laughs> you give your children to God, and you consecrate them to God, and you pray for them, and then the rest is up to God. Beautiful. That is such good wisdom for all of us parents out there to have that confidence that God is leading the way for them. You do all that you can. Yeah. You pray it's a, hard. It's a, good, it's a good time to have a mischievous child. Yeah. I like mischievous children. They're, <laughs> okay. they're fun. Oh, no. <laughs> we'll send them your way for uh, discipline. <laughs> uh, they're the ones that surprise you usually. That's you know? true. Don't give up on right. them. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. No. That's right. Well, Urchard, this has been just a real joy. I can't tell you how much I have loved this conversation and hearing this. I'm so thankful because I know that this has blessed me and then it's going to bless so many other people. A story that needs to be shared. Thank you so much. And Thank you so much. Well, you know what? I will never get tired of talking about Padre Pio. But your heart is full, your mouth runs over. 